1 Timothy 6 is where we're going to be at today. Titled our message this morning, Stand on the Word. Stand on the Word. Uh, We've been challenged in a lot of different areas as we've made our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Recently, talked about the ministry to widows. And last week, talking about uh, the ministry of work and how we can be faithful to God in our workplace and glorify God even in our work. Today, he turns his focus onto the Word of God and to those who follow and serve the Word of God and to those who turn away from the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word. And we know that solid ground is essential for secure living, isn't it? We know because winter in Minnesota is right around the corner. I know I hate to bring it up again, okay? Uh, Winter is right around the corner, but we know what that means. It means slippery roads. It means being careful. It means at, at times having stuff canceled because we can't get out and about and roads are slippery. And it's the same while we walk in the snow. We have to be careful of where we put our feet because we could slip and lose our footing. As we talk about God's word today, he wants to, Paul wants to challenge Timothy as he teaches the church at Ephesus and the churches in that area to be careful of their footing. To be careful of their footing. Do not let it slip away from the true word of God to anything else, to any under, other understanding than what, what can be Uh, supported by Scripture, stand on the Word of God. Jesus himself sees this as an important topic to address time and time again in, in his ministry. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this, Jesus talking, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house, But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Is it important for God and for Jesus and for Paul to remind us to stand on God's word? Yes, it was. Jesus said it, if you don't stand on his word, what are you standing on? A sandy ground that's going to fall away, take you in the opposite direction of where we as Christians want to go. God's word has to be what we hold up as the truth for life and godliness. Timothy, as he is getting uh, preached and taught to by Paul, reminds us of this same fact. Let's look over there, read our uh, passage in its context. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10 is what we'll start with. We're going to focus in on verses 3 through 5 for our message this morning, but the larger context is the full amount up till verse 10, so we'll start with that. Paul, writing and teaching Timothy, says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothes, with these we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your help and your guidance as we look at your word today. Help us, Lord, to understand the value and importance of your teaching. Help us to have a heart that submits to it. God, guide us as we learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hold on to, the, to God's word and listen to his warnings. That's the main message we'll get from our text this morning, verses 3 through 5, 1 Timothy 6. Hold on to God's word and listen to his warnings. It's this idea of holding the declaration that God's word is important, it is the most important, and at the same time, looking to what Paul is teaching Timothy and saying, wow, look at all these bad things that could happen if I don't keep this in its rightful place. The words of God, the message of God, the gospel, and everything that pertains to Christ. If I don't keep that here, all of these these warnings that he talks about are going to infect my personal life, infect my community, my family, my church life. So what Paul gives us this morning is a declaration and then two different warnings. And that's what we're going to look at in our verses today. First teaching that Paul gives us in his text, we find in verse 3, and it is first teaching number one, God's word is the ultimate authority for life and godliness. God's word is the ultimate authority for life and godliness. When I was just out of Bible college, I worked at a call center. And if you've ever worked at a call center, you know what it means. A lot of times people calling in mad and angry. And the call center that I worked at, people were calling in to dispute a charge on their bill. And we had to go through a specific process to help them get that charge off. We had to send an email out. They had to wait two days, then call us back. But you know that first call that they would call in, they want that charge right off their bill right away. And so they would have an argument with me, but I'd have to explain to them, well, this is the process. We have to go to do this. They would escalate. They would get madder. And then finally they would say, let me talk to your boss. Let me talk to your boss. And if they said that enough, we had someone that we could transfer them to. And then they would get mad at that person. Let me talk to your boss. And they'd try to work their way up to the spot where they get to the person who's the ultimate authority that can make a decision. As we look at Scripture and as we look at our life as Christians, we have to ask that question, who is the ultimate authority in your life? Who is the person that teaches you how you should live, what you should do, how you should act with your kids, how you should interact with people at work. Is it my own feelings? Is it how I think that I should should live? Well, if we're true to what God says, we have to say that his word is the ultimate authority. It does, that sidesteps all of my feelings, all of what I think it should be and how my life should be, and says God's word is the ultimate authority. God's word is the ultimate authority. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So he's talking about a specific group of people who turn away from God's word. But in this statement, what he's giving us is the authority of God's word. 
He's saying, these people that I'm going to talk about in just a second, they don't have it right. They don't have God's word as their authority. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness. So, first of all, he brings Jesus Christ into this conversation. But the words that Jesus spoke, the words that Jesus taught, and the life that comes to somebody who sees Jesus as the Savior. Jesus taught many things. First and foremost, that he was God's, uh, he was equal to God and part of the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are many who turn away from that notion. Uh, Jesus said himself, I and my Father are one. That in and of itself made the Jewish people furious, angry, saying, embrace Jesus' words. Embrace what he taught about your sin, the sin that needed to be dealt with on the cross, and there was no other way to do it. Each and every one of us have that sin nature that causes a distance between us and God. And unless God sent his son Jesus to make that right for us, we were, we were lost in our sin for all of eternity. And you know what? We're still lost in our sin for all of eternity unless we have made Jesus Christ our Savior by accepting God's word about him and the truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through Jesus Christ. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of Jesus and the teaching that accord with godliness. Now, if we're, if we're following Jesus' words about who he is and about what he taught about life, we are going to live in godliness. We're trying to follow after what he tells us and live like him. That's going to lead us down the path of godliness. <clears throat> what does this mean for us as we look at God's word? We can say we hold it up, and I mean, our church, we would say we follow God's word. We want it to be authoritative. But what does that look like moving forward with us as a group and individually? Well, first of all, it must, it mean, it must mean that we have to seek to understand it fully. We have to seek to understand God's word fully. That means there's a specific way that we go about studying God's word. We don't just take a verse out of its context and say, well, I think this verse means this. I think that verse means what I want it to. No, there's a specific way that we have to study God's word to understand what God is teaching us. It's all about getting to what he wants to tell us, what he is teaching us. There's a specific word for this that we use in seminary, and it's called hermeneutics. It's the way that we study God's word to get the truth that God wanted us to have in it. So what does this hermeneutics look like? I got a helpful diagram that helps us understand how we think through a passage. First thing that we do is we have to have observation. We get a text. This is exactly what I do as we teach and preach through a message or a passage. You get a text. And the very first thing that we should do is spend a lot of time and effort observing all of the features of that text. I mean, look at it. You get the genre, the words, the grammatical structure, the mood. I mean, it's, it's too often that someone reads a specific verse and automatically jumps to interpretation without in understanding what the author's intent was. What was the context? What did the culture look like? We have to be good observers before we can even move to interpretation. So we take all of those things in, and then we move to interpretation. 
And what interpretation looks like is asking a lot of questions about the text. Well, who wrote it? Why are all of these things that I'm observing put the way that they are? Why is it said like this? What is the author trying to say? Not, not what am I trying to say? What is the verse itself? Do I think the verse says? Where do we find all of these answers? It has to be back in his word. Back in the word. That's where we go from observation to interpretation. And the main thing that we're trying to find is the author's main point. Not my main point that I want it to say. It's what is the author saying in the text. But this, this is, I know I'm not trying to turn it into a seminary class here for us. Um, but this is important for even as you're reading through the Bible yourself and you come across verses, your purpose should be, what does the, the word say that I'm trying to get to? Observation to interpretation. Looking for the author's main point. <clears throat> always, of course my thing is not going to work, always including the gospel of Jesus Christ. And isn't that what our text is talking about? The sound words of Jesus Christ and the teaching that accord with godliness. If we leave at any point Jesus Christ out of the equation and his words and his message of who he is, we're in the, we're in the wrong spot. It's taken us the wrong way. So we go from observation, interpretation, to find the author's main point. And then what is the end of all of it? It's not just to gain knowledge, is it? The last part is application. How am I taking what I've learned from the text and what God is teaching me in his word, trying to place it into my life, trying to grow in that area, trying to objectively think, what are some things that I can do to put this truth, this principle into my life and grow in this area? This is what it looks like to hold God's word up high as authoritative in your life. Study it effectively. Try to find the truth that it is teaching us about. We must seek to understand it. Paul was telling Timothy this, that he needed to teach the church to, to study it and to seek God's word because he knew that many errors were going to sneak into the church. And you can think of the history of the church, and if you look back, you'd see all types of different uh, errors. Errors such as denying God's existence. Errors about his nature and his attributes. Errors about Christ's person and his work. Errors about denying Jesus' virgin birth and then his sinless perfection and his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, or his future return. Denying his very nature, that he was the person uh, that God said that he was. His person and, and the works of the Holy Spirit. Also deny, de denying the authenticity, the inspiration, authority, or inerrancy of Scripture. All of these things Paul knew would, the church would have to deal with at some point. And God's authority put it in this text to, to remind us, stand on God's word. Search for the truth. Try to find the truth. But here's the next part of it. Not just find it. But then we must seek to submit wholeheartedly to the truth. Have you ever had that where maybe you've been challenged by something that you believe or thought from when you grew up and someone tried to change your mind on it? And how hard is that? We know that's difficult. How hard is that? We need to seek God's help that when he reveals something in Scripture as to how we're living the wrong way, how we're believing the wrong thing, that we wholeheartedly submit to that. One individual that did this in history was Martin Luther. We know the name Martin Luther, and maybe some of you have di dived further into his background in history, 
But to know a little bit about who Martin Luther was, he was uh, a Roman Catholic monk that as he studied the scripture more, he started to see wrong ways that the Roman Catholic Church was taking Christianity away from God. And as he understood this, he started to write about it. He started to challenge the culture there, not in a mean way, but to ask questions about, are we holding the authority of Scripture as the highest? And you know, he ended up refusing the ultimate authority of the Pope, something that the Roman Catholic Church to the time and today uh, believes as scriptural. That the Pope, if he says something, it trumps, he goes higher than what Scripture says. He refused the sale of indulgences. The idea that I can pay money to the church so that I can get my relatives that have died and gone into purgatory, I can get them out of purgatory and make them go to heaven. The church was teaching these things. And as he studied scripture, he said, I got to say what's right, what's true about these things. He also refused salvation by works. Salvation by works. He realized that it is nothing that he can do that can earn his salvation. And so we come to the uh, little bit through his life, and this is a picture of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. The Roman Catholic Church at this point was not happy with Martin Luther because all of these questions were now being asked by all of the people that were going to the Roman Catholic Church. And they were starting to protest and be mad at the church. So the church, in turn, of course, was mad at Martin Luther. So as he was traveling, he was captured, he was held in prison, and he was told that the the next morning he was going to stand before the Roman Catholic authorities. And as he stood before the Roman Catholic authorities, he was going to be told that he needed to recant all of his writing. Everything that talked about negativity towards the Pope or all the things that they were teaching, he had to recant. And if not, there was going to be a possibility that he was going to be burned at the stake. Well, the time came for him to stand up in front of the Roman Catholic authorities, and it was so heavy and weighed on his heart that he actually asked for one extra night. Can I spend one more night in the prison because I really got to pray about this and think about this? And so he, he spent that night in prayer asking God, what do I do? Do I recant? He gets up the next day. They ask him the question, do you recant? And this is what he says. He says, Since your most serene majesty and your highnesses require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof of Holy Scripture or by cognate reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in the way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will recant anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against the conscience. Here I stand. I can do not, I, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. And that has become a, a very well-known saying from Martin Luther, here I stand. I, I can't stand on anything except God's word. And he stood before him. He, he was not burned at the stake, um, but he stood up for what was right and what he knew God's word said. It's an example to us of how God wants us to stand on his word. Whatever the consequences might be, whatever, who, whoever might not like me, it might be a family member, it might be a friend, 
But all we can say was what Martin Luther said is, it's God's word. It says what it says. And I, it's my job to submit to that. Submit to God's word. Hold on to God's word and then listen to his warning. God's word is the ultimate authority for life and godliness. But that brings us to the second teaching that Paul uh, reminds Timothy of. Number two, those who stray from his word show where their true allegiance lies. Those who stray from his word show where their true allegiance lies. Growing up in our family, I can remember as a young kid, probably eight or nine years old, having a dog. And we had a little cocker spaniel dog, and it was the most annoying dog I can remember. All right, always jumping up on me, always yapping at us. And the other thing that we, I remember about this dog is that any time the door got open, that dog is outside, not just in our yard, all over the neighborhood, all over the place. And we had to spend a lot of time, I remember, trying to find that dog and yelling, Penny, come back here. Our dog's name is Penny. And it would not listen to us. Well, it's showing exactly what that dog cared about most was its freedom and wanting to do what it wanted to do. It did not see the authority of who owned the dog and who uh, had, had that dog as their own. Just automatically, the door's open, things gone. An example for us is, unfortunately, some of us as Christians want to have our own authority. And the door gets opened a crack by someone who t- tells you something or says something or you hear something on the news, you read something from a Christian author that's not really sound in how he teaches or preaches, and we, we find ourselves wanting to go that way because we're happy with what they say because ourself, we think, I'd like to believe that, and it's about me at that point. What we find in the text, though, is that those who stray from God's word, they show where their true allegiance lies. If we don't follow what God's word shows us, and even studying God's word with this type of idea of how to get to the main point of what we're trying to study, it becomes personal opinion. It becomes my word against your word, but that's not how we can study God's word. The only way that we can hold it up as uh, God's authoritative word is to submit to it. Those who stray from God's word show where their true allegiance lies. This isn't the first spot in the even the book of Timothy, where Paul mentions people who will stray. He says, 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, flip back just a page. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, remember he says this. He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Flip over one more page to 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3. Verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that... God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What's he saying? He's, he's reiterating multiple times that God's word is authoritative. Submit to God's word and be warned that there are going to be those around you who do not feel the same way about God's word. 
those that are going to turn from it and try to get you to go with them as they turn from it. Turn back to our passage, 1 Timothy 6. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. What he goes on from here is this declaration of God's authority in his word as to those people who turn from it. And he starts to explain who they actually are from the inside. We see he gives specific descriptions of these people. He says that, first of all, they are puffed up with conceit. Completely different than a humble attitude of Jesus Christ who came, took on the form of a servant to, to, to be our Savior. The person that is puffed up with conceit, that is just another term for pride. They think that life is all about them, and it's their way or the highway as it goes. They're puffed up with conceit. It's not truly about finding the truth. And we know it because the next thing he says about them is that they understand nothing. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Although this person may put an argument out there to show how right they are in whatever that they're arguing, it doesn't matter because they don't understand anything if they're not trying to do it with the right heart, with the right motive, and studying God's word the right way. They're puffed up with conceit, and they'll never understand anything if they're not putting God's, studying God's word the right way. Last thing, or another thing he says about them, that they're puffed up without conceit and understands nothing. And then he says he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. An unhealthy craving for controversy. Now, we've got a couple pregnant women uh, that have just had babies recently or are about to have babies in the next six months. And they probably know better than anybody what a craving looks like, right? Something that you want, and you tell your husband, I don't care what you got to do, you go get me that food, right? I got that. Some of us guys have that too, okay? It's, uh, that, that I just need to go get that, whatever it is. I don't care if I got to drive at 9 o'clock at night to whatever gas station or fast food. I need something, all right? That's a craving. We know, we understand what a craving is, but look at how he uses it in the text. This individual has an unhealthy craving, and his craving is not for food, not for some unhealthy uh, item to eat, an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. He craves controversy. He's describing someone who does not hold up God's word, and he's just trying to use God's word for his own benefit. He wants to argue everything that is said. And the motivation is not to love God more, to understand the truth more. He has an unhealthy craving for that controversy and for quarrels about words. He, he, he doesn't truly care about God or the truth. What's the conclusion of this individual is that this person is out to live for himself. He does not care about knowing the truth of God's word. He does not care about growing in godliness he does not care about loving others well. He does not live in humility. He cares about himself, and it shows in his actions and his interactions with other people. Here's the question for us today, and as you consider this text and the description of this person, does this sound like you? Does this sound like you? I mean, we don't look and study God's word to just say, oh yeah, we've got to be careful of those people. They're out there somewhere. In what way do you find these things seeping into your life? 
Am I con- contradictory all the time about something? If, if, if a, a, an instance of Scripture comes up, do I already have my mind made up before I've thoroughly thought about it? Am I humble to say, hey, I don't know everything, and I need to study this out so that I can understand it? Does this sound like you? If it sounds like you, this is a heart of someone who's turning away from God, not going towards the truth, not holding his word up in authority. And it's a, it's a person that Paul is warning Timothy about. Again, Paul says, hold on to God's word and listen to the warnings that he's giving them here. Number one, God's word is the ultimate authority for life and godliness. Number two in the text, those who stray from God's word show where their true allegiance lies. That brings us to number three, teaching of the text. Number three, those who stray from God's word are producers of great discord. Those who stray from God's word are producers of great discord. I've played on many different sports teams as I've grown up, and one individual that you don't want on your team is the ball hog, right? The one who's on your team, but all he wants is, give me the ball, it's mine, give it to me. And when he gets it, you know he's not going to pass to anybody else because it's all about him. And what happens to that team? Uh, you don't want to pass him the ball. You don't want that person to get playing time. He does not make it easy for the team. He makes strife and difficulty for the team. It's the same with an individual like this, who is all about themselves when it comes to God's word. He's not for the truth. Those who stray from God's word are producers of great discord. The text reminds us, look at verse 4, this person's puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. And then it says, this type of person produces, does which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind, or depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Again, he gives us a lot of different things that this controversial person who turns away from God's word produces. What are the things? He starts with four. And he initially says that this person produces envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. Those first two, envy and dissension, they kind of go together. As you're arguing about God's word and you have a selfish mindset about it, wanting it to be what you want it to be, if somebody else gets more notoriety than you, if, if somebody else is believed more than you, that person, you start to envy that person. And it starts to cause dissension. Like, I want to be looked at one way, but I'm not being looked at that way, so now I'm envious. And then that envy and dissension, it leads to that third one, slander. Not only is it in my mind, I'm going to start to talk evil about other people because I, I want what I want. It's about me. It's not about God's word. And you start to slander that person. The next thing is evil suspicions. As those slanders, slanderous remarks get into the church's people, or into the church's people, they start to think, is this true? Is this right? And evil suspicions about all who are involved start to take hold. And it's all because this person is outside of God's word and is not trying to submit in a loving, kind way to God's word. Those who stray from God's word, they produce those things. Here's another thing that it says in the text. It says that they produce constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Constant friction. 
We know constant friction is never a good thing, especially you got a trailer, you've got uh, mechanical things that are working. That constant friction makes things break apart. If you have constant friction when you're wearing a shoe, you get a blister. Your, your body knows that that's not right, and it tries to fix that problem. It's the same with these type of people that are not submitting to God's word. They cause friction all the time, and it causes disunity, and it's hurtful to God's people. It's hurtful to families, and it's uh, constant friction. What also is produced by this type of individual is a, a depraved mind. And a depraved mind is just a corrupt mind, uh, a mind that is not pure and wanting to follow God's word. We also find it producing people who don't care about the truth, deprived of the truth. That doesn't mean that the truth is not available to them, but their eyes are so shadowed by what they want and that what they want it to be that it doesn't matter what the truth is. And they are people who don't even care about the truth. He will never reach the truth because he is keeping himself from it. Not that the truth is not available, but his prideful heart will not submit to the truth. The last thing that the text tells us is that it produces this type of person, a person who uses godliness for gain. It says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And specifically there, he's talking about financial gain. Someone who is selfish in God's word, they will even take it as far as to say, I'm going to use this as an avenue to get money, get paid. Either people be nice to them so that they give me money or go into even vocational ministry but have a wrong heart about submitting to God's word. And they're just thinking, ah, it's just a job. It's just a job. If that's all I thought about this job, I would do the least amount that I could. I would not recognize that God is authoritative, he's given us his word, and me as a pastor is trying to help us grow in these areas. I could sidestep all of that and just say, it's just a job, I'll just get the basics done. That's not what we find. We, we, we have to strive to shy away and call out the, the people that are being friction and, and living for sinfulness and wanting God's word to be selfishness to them. We need to turn from that. We need to hold on to God's word and listen to his warnings. That's what we've been challenged with today. Hold on to God's word. Listen to his warnings that if we turn away from God's word, it's going to have repercussions in all of your life, your family, your church life, your work life. It's going to have repercussions for that. How do we take this message? What are some things we can do as we leave with this message. First of all, prayerfully evaluate yourself against the descriptions of a strained person. Carefully evaluate yourself against the descriptions of a strained person. We talked about throughout this text, he's saying people who stray from the truth are going to be controversial all the time. They're going to be looking for that avenue to just have an argument. Prayerfully consider, is that me? Do, do I do that? Or do I have a different mindset where I, I might want to find the truth, but the way that I go about it is that I'm trying to seriously study God's word and do it humbly, where I'm not trying to beat anybody else down, but I, I, I want to bring them along. So we're all studying God's word together, and we're growing together. Prayerfully evaluate yourself against the descriptions of a strained person. Second thing you can do, ask God to help you. See if there is any turning from him in you. A lot of times when we try to evaluate ourselves, we always put ourselves in the best light. And we think, I don't think I do that. No, that's not me. 
we need God's help in even evaluating how we are. And so one thing you can do, even as you start to think about your own life and interactions with people, God, help me to see if there's any sinful heart in me so I can turn from that pridefulness. Ask God to help you. Third thing is repent. When you acknowledge in your own mind, I haven't done this fully, I struggle with this, we bring that to God in repentance. And we say, God, forgive me for this. Help me to see that life is about you, Lord. And help me in my interactions to want to show Jesus Christ to other people. Even if there's differences between us, I still want to please you best with, with all of the things that I do. So repent of your sin. Lastly, seek to know his truth, submit to his truth, and show love and kindness to others in the truth. Let me say that again. Seek to know his truth, submit to his truth, and show love and kindness to others in the truth. You see, I'm talking, it all revolves around God's truth. His word, the person of Jesus Christ who we're serving, it's about his truth, not you. Seek to submit yourself to that and grow and not be those who turn away from his truth. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. God, we thank you for the challenge to just seek our heart and, uh, and ask if there's anything that is keeping us from completely serving you or turning other people away or being, dis- dissent- being a, someone who is causing division in the church, Lord. Uh, help us to, to seek that out in our own life and to seek uh, repentance from you and to grow in godliness.